beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read just a moment ago from the gospel according to Matthew about the way that Jesus paid attention to the little children that were brought to him. And so in the same way, I want to have the attention of the kids here for a little bit. And I want to ask you a few questions to get you to think about your place in the church, your place in this church. So the first question is, what are you doing here? Do you know why you're here? Do you think that this is a place that you belong and that all of this that we're doing here, um, hearing a sermon, singing to God, uh, giving offerings, are all of these things also for you or are these just things that your parents are doing and since you can't be left home alone, your parents have to take you with them and, and you just happen to be here? What do you think? Are you just here with your parents or do you belong in the church? Well, this afternoon, we're learning what God's word teaches about you. What do you think of that? God has put a lot of important stuff, you know, uh, in his word for us, a lot of important teaching, and a lot of those things are very hard to understand, and, and there's also parts in the Bible where God is saying, hey, Grown-ups, moms and dads, adults, you have to think very carefully about your children, and you have to treat children a certain way. And then God teaches all about you. Did you think that you were important enough for God to include teaching in his word about you? Well, this is pretty clear in God's word that the stuff in the Bible isn't just for grown-ups, but it's for you too, because you are very important to God, and you also have a very important job in the church. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was recognized as very important. He, while he was preaching and teaching, he became very famous in the region that he lived, he was important to everyone. And remember what we read just a little while ago about what Jesus did with those children in the text. The disciples thought that kids weren't important enough. The children were being brought to him, and the disciples thought, no, this is Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time for kids. You think of the way you know, a, a, a king on earth or a president or a prime minister, they have very important things to do, many weighty matters to attend to, and so they probably don't have a lot of time just to, you know, play with children and, and, and waste their time. Well, how much more for Jesus, who is teaching the ways of salvation? No, Jesus doesn't have time for, for kids. But Jesus rebukes them. We read this in Matthew 19, Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, 
Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And Jesus blesses the children. Jesus was teaching that children, like you, are very important to him. He also teaches that all of us who are grown-ups, all of us who are all of us who are mature in our faith, well, actually, we are supposed to have a faith like yours. And when you kids hear about your salvation in Jesus, and, and when you are amazed at what you hear, and you believe in Jesus, you know that you belong to him, well, then the kind of faith that you have, God is telling us, even the elders and the deacons and the ministers too, that we have to have faith like yours. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. This is the, the previous chapter. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. So everybody can see this, this little one. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So, today we hear the word of God concerning the place of children in the church. The theme is that saying of Jesus, let the little children come to me. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will be working in the hearts of you kids as you hear his word, but also in the hearts of all of us, all of us grown-ups who hear the word today. It's our prayer that the Spirit of God would be working in your hearts and also transform our hearts to be more like yours. So, why are we hearing about this today? Well, in, in this particular place in the catechism. Well, in, in this uh, section of the Heidelberg Catechism... We're learning about the sacraments, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we have a question in the teaching about baptism about whether you kids too need to be baptized. Is that something that's for you or do we have to wait? Do we have to wait until you grow up and you can speak for yourself instead of having your parents in charge of you? And maybe is it better that at that time you would profess your faith and then receive the sign and seal of, of baptism. Because that's what quite a number of Christians believe about baptism. They think that we should wait until someone is ready to be mature, to be a grown-up about church life and Wait until you're ready to stand up and, and, and speak about your faith in Christ. And at that time, you're also ready to, to commit yourself to being a living member of the church. You're committed to, to helping your brothers and sisters in, in whatever way God has, has made you able. And only when people are ready to make all of those kinds of promises and all of those commitments and speak about their faith, then they should be baptized. And one of the reasons for this is because they would say that baptism is a sign of faith. People are baptized, and that baptism, that washing, shows what's going on in their hearts. 
What do you see when someone is baptized? What does the minister do? Well, he sprinkles water on the person's head or what happens often in our congregations, sprinkles water on the baby's head. And what is that, what is that sprinkling with water teaching us? That the baby's head was, was dirty? The baby's head got dirty on the way to church and, and the baby needed a bath? No. It's teaching about what's happening with the blood of Christ for your hearts. Just like water washes dirt off of our bodies, so Jesus' blood washes us from all of our sins. That's the, that's the sign, that's the thing that's pictured, that's the content of the promise, right? And the question is, who gets their hearts washed by Jesus? Well, we actually read this in Acts chapter 16. The jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, you have to do something, right? You have to believe. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So, it can make sense when some people say, well, people who aren't People who we, we can't say are, are washed by Jesus' blood yet shouldn't get the sign of that washing because they haven't expressed this faith. They haven't believed in Jesus Christ. They should wait until they can show that they have that faith in their hearts and then receive that baptism as a sign of that faith. So, on the one hand, yes, we can agree that, that water is that picture. Water is the picture of the washing of Jesus' blood, but there's something else in baptism that makes it so that you kids need to be baptized. What is that? Well, it's because baptism isn't just a sign of something. It's not only a picture. Baptism is also a promise. It's also a seal. It's God's pledge for you. And that promise is called a covenant God makes a covenant. God makes promises to you that he is going to be your God and that he washes you with the blood of Jesus Christ and make you grow up to live in him. And I want you to think about the day that you were baptized. Why were you baptized? Whose idea was it? Well, for most of you who are here, it wasn't your idea because you were just a little baby. Maybe some here that came to Christ later in life as, as adults, and so you were baptized as an adult when you professed your faith, and that also is very fitting. But for those who are brought up in the church and who are members of the covenant of God, yes, you were baptized as infants. Your parents brought you to be baptized because they trusted that God was making a covenant with you. We read that passage from Acts, and we saw the same thing there. On the one hand, yes, the, the jailer comes to faith, and then he is baptized when he professes his faith. The man who was in charge of the jail, the, uh, before meeting Paul and Silas, he didn't belong to God. He didn't love God. He didn't serve him. At that time, he wasn't called one of God's people, not until all of this happens. But then there's the earthquake, the jail opens, and this jailer, the, this 
boss of the jail. He gets so scared because he thinks all of the prisoners are escaping and, and he's going to hurt himself. But they stopped him. He said, don't worry. You're not in trouble. We're all here. And he knew that this was a miraculous thing that was happening. Paul and Silas, you know, he, he heard their, their singing, uh, their praying, and he believed. So he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And they told him, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And what else did he say? You and your household. You and your household. That's a really important thing to, to recognize. God makes this promise to this jailer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved, and he makes that same promise to his wife, to his children, and to everybody who belongs to his house. At that time, that would include everybody that that man was responsible for, the servants of the house, everyone. We can think about it in this way. If, if, if this jailer, if he believes in Jesus, well, then what does that mean? What does it mean for his life? It means that his life is going to be completely different from then on. It means that he's going to start praying to God, reading God's word, devoting every day of his life to God. It means that he's going to strive more and more to be living a holy life in every aspect of his life, especially in his Daily doings around the house, right? God will be with him in his home. That man's whole life is going to be holy now. And if God is going to be with him in his home, then everything about that man's home has to be holy. So God says, I will make your whole family holy because I am with you. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 14. Paul's giving instruction about you know, what, what happens when you have two people and one person comes to faith and becomes a Christian, belongs to God, but the spouse, the husband or the wife, does not. Paul says you have to remain together. If, if the other person is willing to stay with you, don't divorce them because you being in relationship with God is making that person holy and sanctified. 1 Corinthians 7 12 through 14. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Here's the reason. For the unbelieving husband, so the unbelieving husband, this is somebody who rejects God, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. As it is, they are holy. Your children are holy. So that means if one parent turns to God and believes in God, their whole life is dedicated to God. And God is giving it 
a special status. It means that the unbelieving wife or husband is called holy, designated as holy. God requires that unbelieving husband or wife because of their proximity to God, you might say, God requires more of them and requires dedication from them. They must be for them. But they reject it. But that doesn't absolve them from the holiness that God calls them to. It doesn't mean that they automatically start living like holy people, but God says that they belong to him. They have a high responsibility now to, to be holy and live like holy people because God is in their life. Through what they see in their believing spouse and what they see in these now covenant children, they are seeing something of the goodness of God and they're called to respond to that. God's promise is for believers and their children. This isn't something that, that God only told Abraham. My promise is for you and for your children after you to be God to you and to your descendants after you throughout their generations. Peter says this also to the crowd, the New Testament church. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Paul stresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. Your children are holy. Or your children are sanctified. And that's something actually that as the church we take very seriously. We can tell that we take it very seriously because that very fact, that very truth is in one of the questions that parents have to answer when they present their children for baptism. It's precisely that point. The very first question. Do you believe that our children though conceived and born in sin and subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ. And thus, as members of his church, ought to be baptized. If any of you are, are parents and have presented your children for baptism, you have answered yes to that question. So there's a lot going on there, but if we boil it down, do you believe that our children are sanctified? Yes, we do. We believe that. Children are given the status of holy, dedicated to God, called to a certain way of life. God has claimed you children as his, and he's made promises to you. This is God's covenant. God has made a covenant with you. Can you believe that, kids? God has made a covenant with you. God has said, I'm in a relationship with you. Not just your parents, I'm in a relationship with you. I will be your God, and you children will be my people. It's a beautiful thing to have you here in church. You belong here worshiping with everyone else. You are part of this congregation, part of this church. And you have certain jobs to do here too, really important ones. Your job right now is to praise God, worship him, praise him with your voices. 
Maybe you've noticed every once in a while that when you children are singing particularly loud, it's pretty emotional for your parents or your grandparents. It's a wonderful thing when children and grandchildren are singing the praises of God. You're learning the psalms and hymns. You're learning the word of God. And this is pleasing to God to hear the gospel come out of your mouth. Psalm 8, verse 2, or stanza 2. This is how we have it in our book of praise. From children's lips, you let your praise be sounded. And on this praise, on, so on the praise of children, on the words that are coming out of the mouths of you kids, on this praise, a fortress you have founded. Our little ones, your strength and glory show. Through them, you silence the avenging foe. God is using your praise, your worship for his work. That's powerful. That's a pretty important job, isn't it? When you kids learn the ways of God, when you speak about them, and when you sing about them, this is glorious work. This is mighty work in the kingdom of heaven. And when you're here worshiping, God is, is at work in you. He's working in your hearts with his spirit, not just in grown-ups, but he's also teaching you more and more to believe in him. He's teaching you more and more what he's like so that you see him, you recognize him as your God, and you more and more trust your whole life with him or trust him with your life. So your job right now, really important job to learn, grow in the knowledge of God. And that means that your parents now, too, have a really big responsibility. Their job is to pass these things on to you. They learned things from their parents who learned it from their parents. And now it's their job to pass these things on to you, teach you about the name of God, the love of God, the love that he has shown to you through Jesus Christ. And when all of this is happening, you kids are being built up into the body of Christ with everyone else. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Jesus blesses you. Jesus wants to see you and, and, and how you believe so that, so that we also uh, take that as an example. Jesus calls us to believe like you do. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Usually, and I would imagine that a lot of you children, especially you older ones of, of your family, if you have younger brothers and sisters, maybe you, you've heard something like this. You're the older one, and the little ones are going to do what you do. You older ones have to be an example for the younger ones. We say that in our house a lot. We have to. But this is actually the opposite. Jesus is saying that you kids, you little ones with your faith, you have to be an example for us older ones. So children, listen to the teaching of God. Listen for the voice of God. He speaks to you in his word. You can hear him call to you every week. And parents, grandparents, every other grown-up here strive to hear the word of God and receive it the way that these children do. God says, you 
belong to me. Let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to children like you and to those who have a faith like yours. Amen.